Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're grateful for the prophet Jeremiah. We'd ask that you'd give us good to mull over, things to think on your ways, what he struggled to express. We'd ask that we would um, welcome it in our lives. In your son's name, amen. It's one of the things that when you're looking at a prophet in the Old Testament and you know what he's talking about he points out which city, which people and he says, um, how am I supposed to apply this? I am not Edom I am not Babylon, I am not Jerusalem I am not what it says in the early part of Jeremiah 6 hew down her trees, cast up a siege mound against Jerusalem so how can I apply that? We get to, it says in the New Testament, look at these things as warnings to not be like certain people, not be like the Jews when they did X, Y, or Z. And this is an example of that. We look back at Jeremiah's struggling with prophesying against the condition of Jerusalem. And in many ways, uh, we are in the similar circumstance. They were in a religiously correct nation. They were the people of the living God. They had their law written by God. And they had been sent great men like Moses and great kings like David and prophets like Isaiah. And he had watched over them. He had husbanded, if you want to call it that, husbanded the nation. And things had not gone well. It just got worse and worse. And Jeremiah, as he's called the weeping prophet, he was at the bitter end of it not going well. He was in the reign of Josiah and Jehoiakim, right at the, right at the edge when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and, and destroys the temple and Jerusalem and hauls everybody off to captivity. And he is the one looking at the moral circumstance that brought that on. So the chapter we're reading tonight, today, is not... It hasn't happened yet, but it's about to happen. Now, in our circumstance, we are the heirs of, uh, you might say, a Christianized, and I'm using that term very, very broadly, a Christianized world through... Greco-Roman philosophy and then the Roman Catholic Church and the Reformation and, and the advancements of the West, all with that little gloss of Christian behavior and remembering Jesus somewhere along the line. Crosses are natural to us. So in many ways we are, as we watch around us, the decay of the society when Someone is, um, oh, there was this, it's in East Lansing. Some Catholic family wasn't allowed to sell their jam at the farmer's market because they didn't believe as Catholics in gay marriage. So the city banned them because they were hateful people. And they're not allowed to sell jam because they held a view which the most liberal president in recent memory held six years ago. 
Yeah. You can watch the, it, the terminal velocity on sin in the society is increasing. The demands, not everybody's wicked, but enough to make the demands and the claims shrill. So we stop here, what are we, what are we doing? What are we, what are we about? In some ways, we have a lot to share with Jeremiah. Glean through thoroughly as a vine the remnant of Israel. Like a great gatherer, pass your hand again over its branches. Interesting. I've never harvested grapes. And I don't know if this, this gleaning concept where you, where you pick up the remnant, and here it's a, in, a, in a, a vineyard situation, the grapes have been harvested, but you're going to pass your hands over what's the vines and see if you can pick up, pick up some pieces, pull some things together. Um, pass your hand again over the branches. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are closed. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Now, as we go through this passage, obviously we're going to be dealing with a Jeremiah voice situation. And I want you to think about it on two fronts. One, how is it speaking to you, the Christian, in the midst of a crumbling society? And there's a lot of talk about this uh, in Christian philosophical circles, which is called the Benedict Option. Um, Rod Dreher, he's a Greek Orthodox uh, fellow in conservative writing, and he's recommending that you, you flee to places. Oddly enough, at one point he thought, like Moscow, Idaho, and he actually thought of Moscow, Idaho, and you live your Christian life faithfully there. You don't try to contend with the city and the powerful and, the, and where they're going. You just go someplace where your efforts as a Christian can be, be done. Others, like I think Tony Esselin, who's a, another notable character, wants the Christians to, like Matt Walsh or others who are wrestling with the world. They're always the pugnacious, take it on. We can, we can take it on. That appeals to various people in different ways, and I really don't care which, which way you take this. But we've got that sort of circumstance on our plate. And so when we says, to whom shall I speak? Here's the prophet of God, and we've got this well-bound book you can buy at the local store or on Amazon and get it actually covered by somebody who knows what they're doing and, and it can last forever. And, you, 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 you say, this is my Bible. I've had this Bible for a while. I don't know when. Leslie gave it to me, I think. Did you? Does it say that in the, front, the frontispiece? No. I think that page got lost at some point. But you gave it to me quite a while ago, decades ago. We've got these things in our life, religion, buildings, uh, Bibles, We've got God speaking to us, and the question that, and my father pointed this out to me a, a few months ago, maybe a year ago, he said, nobody in the Christian church reads their Bibles anymore. Now, 
I don't think it's out of any plot on the part of the Christians that we're not reading our Bibles anymore. I think they would claim, if you said, do you believe the Bible? Oh, you bet I do. Hell yes, they would say. Do you read your Bible? No, I really don't have time. When you ask them a little bit further, it's because they actually take no pleasure in it. They take no pleasure in it, the word of the Lord. And whether or not you're an atheist, a Richard Dawkins who doesn't believe any of it, takes no pleasure in it and treats it with overt scorn, we take no pleasure in it while claiming it and treat it with sort of de facto scorn. We scorn it in our lives. We don't have it be a part of what we are, other than as a Bill Clinton amulet that he carries around with him into church to prove that he's a religious man. It's like, you know, the girl who wears the cross, and she's a sorority girl, and you know, it uh, doesn't do anything. You're a bad person. We're not, the Word of God isn't something that a lot of people in the Christian world care for. They would rather have it maybe filtered into bite-sized nuggets by Mr. Peterson, was that who did the message? Or even Oswald Chambers, who I like. So somebody who make it a verse and a thought. It's because we don't take any pleasure in it. So they cannot listen. Their ears are closed. Now, what's a prophet to do at a point like that? Now, the one thing the prophet has to admit to himself, he's got a, a job that keeps on giving. He's got a job that's like taxes and morticians. They've got, they've got permanent jobs, and so does the prophet. It will never be different. You won't fix it. Jeremiah won't fix it. Jesus Christ couldn't fix it. The apostles couldn't fix it. The only way you be- begin to think Oh, I saw this awful, I should have printed it out. I think William Lane Craig had it on his website about how many Christians, people who believed the Bible and lived that way, to people who didn't. And it used to be 390 to 1 back a thousand years ago. Now it was 7 to 1. I had to almost laugh. There is not 7 to 1 people in this world who believe and live by the Bible. I'm sorry, that, that, I don't know where they're getting that number. Uh, I, Patrick Orr emailed me the other day about this subject, and he said, I've met two Christians in years in this part of Seattle. Two. He's met hundreds and hundreds of people. Two Christians. Well, whatever your view of the how things are working out for us, and whether you're an optimist or a pessimist or you're expecting the end times to be, you know, the tribulation and the antichrist or, or a post-millennial glory, whatever you think, it seems for the most part, that which we have seen, it has been an ugly expression of the religious people. Not what we think of the Hindus, the Muslims, and whatever other religions are out there. Not what we think there. 
but what the Christianized world is guilty of. This is what, what is happening here is going to be answered by the pagans. The Babylonians are going to come in and kick butt and take names. They are God's gift. They are God's discipline. We have to be looking at what is being done and how does Jeremiah juggle his need to be a prophet and his realization of what fixing it's supposed to be. Is there, is there a chance of fixing it? He says in verse 11, Therefore I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I can imagine a kind of a fighting mad little Jewish guy. Full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out upon the children in the street and upon the gatherings of young men also. Both husband and wife shall be taken, the old folk and the very aged. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. Everybody. I don't care how much you don't want to see your family destroyed. Your family is going to be destroyed. The children, the young men, the young couples, they just got married. But we're going to grab her, drag her off to the slave markets of Babylon because how bad it got. God doesn't want to put up with it anymore. Now the reason the reason is in verse 13. For from the least to the greatest of them Everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. Everyone in this Jewish world was leveraging their circumstance to get ahead. They weren't very few people like Jeremiah himself or some others. We're representing the God whom we know, the God who saved us, the God who died for us. They were representing in a religious climate full of prophets, other prophets than Jeremiah. Jeremiah later in the book has this contention with the other prophets, Hananiah and others. And priests, the intermediaries, these are supposed to be the people, be the very active religious circumstance. Priests carry your petitions to God. They are mediators taking your sacrifices and giving them at the temple to God. Prophets are bringing message the other way. God speaks to the prophet, and the prophet comes and talks to you and tells you what God is up to. And they are dealing falsely. And everyone else is after unjust gain. It has happened that Christianity is a bad product. It's a product that you don't even like seeing the commercials for. You ever realize that they have you for a little bit. They remember who's the guy that Billy Billy Mays, um, OxyClean, yelling at you all the time. And finally, you're so convinced by the yelling, you go out and buy some OxyClean. You go, this is not that great. This, I mean, it's okay, but it's not that great. It's not worth yelling. And you know there are products all the time on TV. 
Uh, my current favorite one, Leslie and I enjoy, Prevagen. A protein found in jellyfish. Oh, that proves it to me. And the word like prev, like prevent, agen, prevagen, it prevents aging. And I'm an idiot, so I'll buy it. Well, you know that, that you know this world, everybody's after gain. Everybody's trying to get leverage in your life. Everybody's trying to find a way to get you to live in a way that is more in accord with what they want. Because they view our life as this. What, what is in front of us and what could possibly be better than me getting ahead? Me having things the way I want them. Parents try to raise their kids in such a way that their kids will be the way they want them to be. It said, this is, that sounds bad. Why does that sound bad? It's not, you know, necessarily bad, but it's what we are all moved by, desire to be fed, desire to be entertained, desire to be pleased, have things go your way. But it has come to the point that God is going to judge the Jews in Jerusalem for this. And when a bad product comes along, this is where you start, and I worked in advertising for a number of years, and, and you begin to be aware of the absolute lie. There, they will look you square in the eyes, and Davis was telling me they had to buy a new car. And they said they felt they had to take a shower, because uh, they went and talked to used car dealers in New Jersey. That's just, that just says, how could it get worse? Well, have it be in New Jersey. They said, the, the, the absolute lies they would tell you. Here's two lawyers, Christian lawyers, looking at the guy, trying to figure out what are we going to do? What are we going to believe? What are we, the lies just coming out. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace when there is no peace. The Christian, I would recommend to you in looking at Jeremiah and trying to say, how do we, what, what warnings do we take from this? I live in an ungodly society that has the gloss of Christianity thrown about in it. We live in a church, an evangelical church, that has more of the gloss of Christianity. And you start to think that some of the people that you like the most, that maybe even say the best of things, are being sold to you. Like you're getting reputations built and resumes presented and, and gain being gotten by the prophets and the priests. And not sure if you're getting falsehood. But one of the things, you know, if you're a sucker for advertising, one of the things I would recommend to you that when it says they will heal the wound lightly, that means they will make, you might say, less than really certain claims, and they will offer you what you ultimately need, saying this could provide this for you. Success with the ladies, riches, good health. This could, eating Cheerios, stop heart, heart disease, could 
contribute. Then the word contribute goes in there. What else words? Some scientists have said or suggested that Cheerios can contribute, or a diet including oats could contribute. By the time you die the death of a thousand qualifications. But they want to tell you exactly what you want to hear. They want to say peace to you. It's not just in the products that you buy, it's in our religion. And what I would like to encourage you to think about is whether or not they delivered on their promise. Sometimes, and it's happened in this country, some awful commercial sounding like they're going to rip you off. You ordered it, and the dang thing worked. The thing not only just did it, it did it really, really well. Now you want all your friends to have one. That does happen. But that's what we are looking for. When the prophets and priests, out to deal falsely with you, healing the religious needs, saying, peace, peace, you are saying, I want that peace, peace, and it better be provided to me. It can't be a light healing of the wound. This will go away if you ignore it. Now, what the prophets are up to, I have this other passage of Jeremiah 14 on the left-hand side there. 14, 14, and the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. Remember, Jeremiah is not the one good guy showing up and there are no prophets other than Jeremiah. He shows up. The place is clogged with prophets. It's a job in Israel. And have you ever thought that, that you, you, what you believe or what you think or what you think is going on, nobody in the Christian pantheon of great teachers agrees with you. You're prophesying lies sometimes. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. And this is one of the things, as you read the situation, first I want you to say, this is always going to happen. The prophet is always going to be shooting fish in a barrel. Because man is mostly sinful. And that means the institutions, including the religious ones, are going to be up to this. And sometimes they will be up to it with absolute convinced that what they're doing is the cutting edge of our faith. And they're just healing the wound lightly and saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. They're self-deceived. The deceit of their own minds. It's a fake vision. It's not true. Doesn't have any value. But people sort of collect a religious value from just being around. Um, and, I, and I, there was a woman years ago that was a friend of ours, and she loved our church and loved it when we got this building. And then said, "You got to wear a clerical collar." Oh man. Kind of white thing. And uh, because then everybody could play religion so much better. We like playing religion. We'd like to all have that gain of I could be the, the charming, easily accessible young, young old vicar that 
that shakes your hand at the door, and you could be seen coming out of a church with a steeple by your friends who are walking by, and your, 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 your pastor has a clerical collar on. We could play this game for a long time. Or we could actually seek peace in Jesus Christ, actually get it, and actually not be interested in playing religion because we are thrilled with knowing Jesus Christ. Actually having the peace. Actually taking pleasure in the word of the Lord. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Sometimes the scriptures pull up a phrase that just goes, you know, that's real insight there. They did not know how to blush. I've, I've found myself blushing when somebody else is sinning. They don't seem to notice that, or care. And I'm just so embarrassed for them. I don't know what, which way to turn? I was like, Lewis covers this in one of his essays. Um, the word pudor is shame. And these people are impudent, means they are without shame. That's where we get the word impudent. People who are shameless. They don't know how to blush. And people, you, have you ever wondered, maybe you sit there watching political TV or, or you ever wonder how they, some people could go home and sleep as a politician after what they just did and said? I mean, Nancy Pelosi accused Donald Trump of offending God for pulling out of the Paris Accord. God, well, her God, I don't doubt, but how do you go home, look yourself in the face in the mirror and go, yep, I just said that. They don't know how to blush. And that's happening, whether it happened in the political realm, let them, they're after power. But God wants you to know that he recognizes, God recognizes this unfailing descent of man into his sins as a society, where a prophet always has a job. God knows, you and the prophet, God and the prophet. Now, and now you know what God thinks of it. And the wonderful thing about it is when you look at the awful, we, we have picked up the world's belief. Leslie hates this phrase. Every blonde bimbet on TV as a newscaster, some tragedy happens at a swimming pool or, or an accident on a... And somebody very unctuously says, and we have to be sure this never happens again. What kind of world are they living in? It happens all the time, and it'll continue to happen. So shut up. It's going to keep happening. But no, we, and we picked that up. We think, because we have the truth, we have the peace, we have the God, we have the pleasure in his word, that we think we're here to fix this nation's problems spiritually. You are not. God wins this either way. We are talking about... Uh, Nick Rozier and I and Corey uh, were talking about governments last night on the porch. And saying, this is 
This is a basic thing of government. The government's in charge, whether it rewards you or whether it punishes you. God is sovereign. It's the fact that he has to punish more people than reward is no, is no failure of his government. It succeeds completely. It punishes the wicked and it rewards the righteous. We might not like living in a world where 95% of them are wicked. But don't be thinking that unless we fix it, oh my gosh, Christianity loses or God loses. No, God's got this. He's sovereign. He's governing. He's, he's going to punish every man according to that which he has done. You can realize when you have the prophetic vision in front of you, you understand what's happening, and you understand that it isn't going to stop it. Some people it might call from the fire. Some people you can lead back from the error of his ways. This is the thank God for Bob Minnick. Just at the last moment in his life, pulled. But countless thousands dying without Jesus Christ. Even though they were given options on their deathbeds. But don't think that we didn't succeed if they don't repent. God's world, God's kingdom succeeds with or without repentance. And it tells you they're not at all ashamed, therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Now, so I want that, first off, I want you to take a very dim view. I'm a very jaded sort of person. A very dim view of the politics and the religion of the dead. I am, more and more, I'm looking askance at other Christians, people who claim Jesus Christ, going, are they really saved? Not because of doctrine, because of their walk, their life. So if I look at you sideways, don't think, am I on the list? No, it's probably just, I look at you, look at you sideways. Or was it? Because as, as I keep thinking about narrow is the way that leads to life and those that find it are few, our task in the situation is knowing that God still, God still wins, God still judges, God still rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked, and he's got it going on for Jerusalem here. They're going to get it from the Babylonians. And these, all these people who thought they had peace are not going to have that peace. It's all going to fall apart. The karma is going to come back to them. And in the church, what they're teaching, what they're offering people, is going to show up in their marriages. It's going to show up in their lives. You've got to run the dipstick in and say, did what I have been reading, learning, listening to produce peace in me? Because that's the only thing, the only choice you have, the only actual control you have, is whether you're going to be on God's blessing side or on his cursing side. He still wins regarding your life. He still gets to punish the ungodly. You just have to decide whether you're one of the ungodly. So the advice he gives next is personal. Thus says the Lord. Now I, th I, get it, I get a personalness out of it because of the advice that's in it. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your soul. 
It sounds like a personal decision. Because he's asking you in the midst of everyone, prophet and priest and everyone else, out for their own good, building their own kingdoms on this earth, out of religion and out of money and out of power. You've got this choice to go look at the roads that are available. You might say, pick up a Rand McNally map, go out to the interstate, stand at the intersection of the roads, and say to yourself, where is the ancient, where is the ancient path? Now, one of the things that I want to warn you about of the ancient paths. Oh, the word ancient. Think about it. Because if this church was built out of stones and they had like pointy arches out of stone and a flying buttress off the side or many flying buttresses and it was built in the 1300s, is that ancient enough for you? Hmm? What if you got to meet in an old Roman church like the 400s that's pretty ancient some people want the ancient ways because they're Lord of the Rings geeks and they think anything with lichen growing on it is true because it has lichen growing on it um, have you ever been to the website McMansion Hell What's wrong with those people? One, they should be arrested, probably shot. Well, they put a turret on their house, of course, because turrets are old-timey. And Mrs. wants a turret. She wants alpacas, and she wants a turret. So she can have her quilt in the turret, or the spiral staircase. All of those are awful representations of some claim of old timiness. The ancient, the ancient turrets are not bad. I'd love to have a turret, but it has to be a good turret. I like stone churches. I even like Lord of the Rings. I like old books, but some people like it. They believe if they opened an old book, my brother showed me he had been given a, uh, a martyrology of, of books, uh, like George Fox's uh, um, Book of Martyrs. Big 1600s. Thing is this thick. He's opening up for me. The guy had scribbled notes in the margin. And you know how you draw an arrow when you want to point someone to something when you put right a marginalia? The guy had pointed a little finger like this, and it had a cuff and a little lace thing drawn for each hand that pointed at that was his marginalia all you yellowed the page smelt you know like compost it had to be true it was old well he's not telling you to love ancient things because there are a lot of ancient things you should not follow the worship of Baal is pretty ancient do not follow it have you ever thought that? You go to the friends of mine who were at the Parthenon recently. This is actually a hilltop on which a lot of gods who are not God were worshipped paganly by pagan people. Evilly 
by pagan people. From Athena to whomever else. But it's so charming, it's so old, it's so dusty. Well, what am I saying then? If I can't look at the turret on my McMansion and feel something, if I can't have my old-timey Lord of the Rings, you know, playtime, what is it? It's where the good way is. That's what the ancient path, you've got to pick it out of the ancient things. Just because it's fake ancient is, is not allowed does not mean that the things of God don't go back to the beginning. It goes back to creation. Our God made this world. Our God walked through this world and made these things and dealt with it over many centuries. And even then, it was an ancient way at the time of Jeremiah, which is approximately early 500s BC. It's where the good way is. And why is it picked out as the good way? Because you're supposed to walk in it. Now, those of you who have hiked, I, I'm not a big hiker, but some people have camped, and they've followed back east. The paths in the Appalachians are serious paths. The Appalachian Trail or whatever else. I mean, it's almost like a freeway. It's so obviously well-traveled across the, the, the mountains there in, in um, the east. And you know the difference between walking in the woods and hitting a path and thinking, oh, this is a path, and then you walk about 30 yards and it goes into a bush. So well, this is probably just a deer trail or something. It's not a path. You know when you walk in it, when you walk in it, when you look for that which is the good way and walk in it, that path has got to deliver you at the end of that path to the thing the path was leading to. Find rest for your souls. We are actually about the peace that the fake are promising. We're about the peace that can be attempted to be spoken to lightly just by claiming it. We are in the situation where we have looked for the way to walk and then when we found it, we didn't just argue with people who didn't agree with us. We walked it. The key is not to be in an argument with somebody. It's to walk it. Because it's not about the journey. It's about getting there. Finding rest for your souls. That's some, what, such a wonderful description of what the individual does in the midst of all this judgment. It says, I really need, I'm, it's coming to me to find the thing. I need to find where Jesus wants me to be so that I can live that way, walk that way. Did how many of you thought of uh, the song when I said walk that way? Caleb did, Kenny did. And find rest for your souls. Have you found it? Have you found the rest? Because the Jews here said, but they said, we will not walk in it. I'm not going to do it. Then he says another thing. I set watchmen over you saying, give heed to the sound of the trumpet. Because there's two phases here. You're living either at a time where you've got freedom to choose personally what you're about. Which is a nice time to be in. I think we're in that circumstance. We can choose here in Idaho what we're about in our individual lives. Do we find the way to walk that is the good way that takes us to being 
at rest in our souls. But there comes a time when we're living in a society where one of the messages from God is no longer you know, how we live out each moment and day and think about things. It's a watchman saying, there's an enemy at the gates. Hannibal at the gates. That's what watchmen did, sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not give heed. We're in two, you want to say, phases. When the invasion is coming, when the end is nigh, when things are going to go to pieces, we've got to also take on what the watchman says. One is to look for the ancient paths, find them, walk in them, be them, and also to be realized when do we... When do we say, the end is nigh for you guys? But in no way do we need, again, to fix it. Don't think that the most inspired... Jeremiah is a famous prophet. He was not successful. They threw him in a well. He was only liked by the pagans. Jesus Christ, I kept reminders of, they crucified him. They killed the rest of the apostles. Therefore, hero nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing evil upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not given heed to my words. When they said we will not walk in it, when they said we will not give heed, or going all the way back to taking no pleasure in the word of God, and thereby scorning the word of God, that kind of Christian faith, that kind of people just wanting to pick up what the most popular thing is currently and repeating it. I've said this before, I can't stand, I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis, I can't stand C.S. Lewis quotes posted on Facebook. Because those people pick the wrong ones. They always pick something that sounds like Deepak Chopra. If that's, you know who that is? Or Dr. Phil. They make, they turn one of the brilliant men into someone who's just saying light things about peace, peace. The fruit of their devices is coming upon them. We may get caught in the crossfire. We may get caught in a world that goes to pieces because God is judging it, the nation falls apart, everything goes sideways, your cell phone doesn't get coverage, just awful things, hell. But God is winning. God always wins. They have not given heed, as for my law, they have rejected it. To what purpose does frankincense come to me from Sheba? or sweet cane from a distant land. You, your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. Therefore says the Lord, Behold, I will lay before this people stumbling blocks, against which they shall stumble. Fathers and sons together, neighbor and friend, shall perish. Know what to expect, since the world is this way, it has always gone from bad to worse. Moral entropy. The prophet always has a job. You can be courageous, confident in that job. 
that even the collapse of things, even the things going to pieces, are exactly what the doctor ordered. People get the karma from God. If we get invaded, you say, what if we got, what if things got so weird that ISIS actually invaded the United States? You ever think that that might be God's tool to deal with wicked Americans? The Assyrians weren't nice. The Babylonians weren't nice. I'm not prophesying that, by the way, so don't tell anybody. Evan Wilson prophesied that ISIS was the army of God. No. But don't think that the bad things that can happen are anything other than what God wants his creation to do. This is how he deals with it. He doesn't convince everybody they were wrong. He communicated the right and the wrong to everybody, but he just punishes everybody for the right and the wrong. That's all that has to happen. He doesn't have to convince them. You've heard me say that before, that truth is under no obligation to convince you. You are under obligation to be convinced by it. But it doesn't have to convince you. You will get your dessert for not believing it. And so will all the rest stumbling over these things by, sent by God. Well, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Give us confidence in this broken time. And it might get more broken. Give us confidence that you reign, your kingdom is served, and that we have jobs in it to do. Help us find the ancient ways that are the good ways. Bring us to a place where we walk in them and we find rest in it. Thank you for that, Lord. You are good to us, better than we deserve. In your son's name, amen.